listening to the Property Heroes Podcast, the place where we talk openly with architects, developers, investors, designers, coaches who help make properties sell faster and sell higher and at a better price. Uh, we talk about property because this is our passion and we want to know more about property. And today in this episode, we're joined by Josh Keegan, the founder of CIS Property Management. Hello, Josh. And welcome. Hello, Rune. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Fantastic, I always say. But <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic services, that'd be it. So, Josh, tell me a little bit about your background and what your company does. So, what my company is, so we, I got into property about uh, six years ago now, and we were one of the first um, HMO specialist letting agencies. There's a lot of agent, letting agencies out there that focus on single lets, and there are a lot of agencies that focus on, say, student uh, properties, and we were one of the first that actually got into the HMO model, which is a house of multiple occupancy, where you have anything from three plus professional tenants who live in, who each rent a room and obviously share a communal space and we that's quite a difficult uh, area of the market to manage so we need to create an agency built to manage that so about five years ago and that's that's successfully scaled now we have over over 350 or so uh, units that, that, we, that we actually manage team of uh, team of 12 you know it's, it's a quite well established uh, agency um, and in that journey, like a lot of the stuff I've been doing is to actually uh, grow my own portfolio as well. So I've, I've developed my own portfolio of primarily HMO professional properties over the years, which is managed by my agency, which works really well. And I also do some mentorship, coaching and, and, and training for, for property uh, investors that need uh, support and getting grips on their financials and need real financial clarity in their property businesses. It's a whole bunch of things, Joshua. I mean, it sounds really fascinating. Um, let's start with the beginning. Like, how do you get into property? Because everybody in property has a different story of how they got into property. What, what was the what was the thing that that made you see property as 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 a place to be? Uh, quite simply, it was it wasn't very considered. I, I was an accountant before. I got my qualification, and I was looking for something a bit more uh, entrepreneurial. And me and my friend, me and my best friend, were living in a flat in the city centre of Manchester. And it was actually him that suggested, like, rather than um, keep paying rent, should we just buy a place together? and you know, have a room each or, or get a house together uh, because it just made more sense. So that that's really where it started. We ended up speaking to somebody who I knew quite well. He suggested that rather than buy a single let, buy a, buy a property intended to a multi-let because there's more, more money in it, more, more cash in it and develop it. Uh, so we did that. We bought our first one and we got in, did all, did all the work ourselves, renovated ourselves, still own that one, still own that one today. Wow. And it really just spiraled from there. So we did that, and then then it then we started the agency, uh, and then yeah, it's just spiraled. So so every year I purchase a number of properties, and it, it's just kind of grown and grown and grown mm -hmm. quite organically. When was this? When was this, Josh? This was uh, I was twenty five, so this would have been two thousand and fifteen. Okay. What do you, what do you consider your biggest win in property? What do you, what is your biggest win in in property? I think I think one of the mistakes that a lot of, lot of in property entrepreneurs and investors make is they actually think that they like property. Um, I think very few people actually enjoy much around property. They like the returns. They like the idea of property. And there's a lot of elements that come into it which are quite. I don't think anyone likes you know getting a call from a tenant to, to tell them their toilet seat's broken. You know, no, no one likes that element of of, of, of property being a landlord. So my biggest win has been a mindset shift to very much being a property owner or, or an investor rather than actually a landlord that's, that's on the ground kind of dealing with all these issues. So for me, the biggest win has been all around uh, 
recruiting a team and being able to step away from the front line of actually of my portfolio. Because I mean, that's that's what we, we talked about this earlier, Josh. Um, we talked about the difference in like the the scaling up from just you know renting out a room in in a property you own to becoming a landlord to multi units to going from that into becoming an agency to doing more and more. Um, and what are some of the challenges in, in, in that move? Because as you scale, this is where I think that from the discussion I've had with other property developers uh, and managers is, is, is what's the, what, what happens in that stuff? Because that scale, that move from one to the other, that transition, um, a lot of things can happen. Well, I, yeah, I, I, and I'm speaking to a man with that experience who's, who's also, you know, you, you, you scale the business very, very quickly. And I think it's the exact same. It's all the same, really. Like the, the the problems you have when you scale anything are exactly the same. There's no different as property. I think one of one of the one of the so say so say I'll go into like what the challenges are. But I think one of the things that is a good and a bad thing about uh, being in property is that you still have a bit of a safety net. So if you look at your business room, like Fantastic Services, you know there would have been moments where if, if it didn't work, like if, if something went wrong. It, it would have gone under, like it would have just been a disaster when you were scaling. And you know, you had to make it work. You had to make it deliver a great level of profit for you. You had to get these franchisees. You had to grow at a certain rate because you had a burn rate. You had team members, etc. One of the good things and the bad things about property is that people go in, they scale, but often the business never really fails. So what can happen is, you go in, you buy, you end up buying one, then you buy five, then you buy ten properties, and you grow, grow, grow. You experience all the same problems that any kind of fast startup business have, which is like you're overwhelmed, you know, you're stressed, finance issues, you know, team issues, you know, all the stuff that comes with comes with doing it. But your business doesn't really normally fail because you you still own the asset base. So worst case, you just literally make no money out of all of these assets that you've worked very very hard uh, to get to. I think that. So that's one of the, the, the best and the worst things about property. I think it's quite hard to fail at property if you, if, you, if you follow some very, very simple principles. But one of the worst elements, though, is a lot of people, they don't follow these principles. They end up with this big portfolio that, that sucks the life out of them, that doesn't really make them any money. And they create like another, a, a lower paid, worse job for themselves than when they're actually employed, um, employed doing the work. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, we didn't actually have those problems, Joshua. Um, we had different problems. It was like we couldn't get enough people to be franchisees fast enough. Um, but, you know, I, I work on a principle called the starfish and the spider, which meant we were always selling one unit out, which meant that actually I used the methodology from the property industry. It's like, how do I build assets? Yeah. So each of my companies were an asset inside that. So if one of them should fail, I had three others to fall back on. So, and I think that's the similar to property. I actually took the idea from property of saying, how do I make one part of the business uh, an asset? So, and I think that's a really interesting aspect of it. And I, I see so many people um, struggling with their business. They're either tech enabled or they're not tech enabled. I mean, we had services that we were offering that were actually generating money. I mean, I don't think we've ever had a non-profitable year, which is very different in a tech startup. Yeah, but, and, and that's a phenomenal place to be, I think. Like you say, though, I don't think many property investors actually have un, like years where they don't make a profit, but they can they can have years where they're plowing hours and hours and hours into this, like seven days a week, and they, they make less than minimal wage. I think that's one of the traps with property, and that's that's something that people, unlike the sub idea, we call this the profit trap. It's just that you get into this place where 
you're not really making enough money. You're plowing all of your hours into making this work and you just get exhausted by it. And these passive investments, these managed, uh, you know, these managed assets stop actually producing uh, what they want, what they want for you. And Joshua, this is kind of like how we connected and how we started talking because you're in the same thing of helping others. You've actually sort of, you're, you're in the property, but what you've done now is you've created something about, you know, you're with your background of accounting, you've created something to really help property managers and landlords to get out of that trap and move on with this. And that's why I got interested in talking because yeah, know a little bit about this. Yeah. Well, so to give you, yeah. So I very much pivoted now, moved on. Like for me, for me, I've moved to a place now where I've had a relative success in, in the businesses I have. Like I've got a very modest lifestyle, but you know, I've got everything I need and, and, and it's a really good place to be. And what I've realized is there's a huge, problem in in like globally where entrepreneurs just really can't entrepreneurs don't know how to uh get gain financial clarity it, too many entrepreneurs they just don't know what what money you am actually making what what how well do my assets actually actually uh perform is this business and is is this business actually paying me for the amount of time that i'm putting into it and what, what i've kind of started to really see and and I was there myself. I'm an accountant. And I, for the first two or three years of business, I was probably asking these questions too. And what I've started to see is that when you solve these questions, when you get these answers right, which, which, is, which, is, which is simpler and easier than most people think, but it's like an enigma because most people just can't, you know, it's just a totally different world to understand bookkeeping, finance management, and all the stuff that comes with it. When we, when we see our clients that solve these problems, they have these light bulb moments and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're empowered and they can do so much more than they could ever do uh, before. For so many entrepreneurs, they spend their lives in this zone where they just think growth is the answer. And they think grow, 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 more sales, more sales, more sales. Whereas one of like, the key principles of what we talk about is that, that more sales don't always equal uh, more profit. So, so basically what, what I do now is having scaled a number of successful um, you know, property companies, built my own portfolio and, and got to a, a relative level of success that I'm very, very comfortable with. I've started to help other entrepreneurs do the same. And what we do now uh, is we specialize in actually bringing entrepreneurs from that messy startup phase to like they've, they've got the sales they you know, they've done the growth, they've got it coming in, but they've got a leaky bucket. They've got, you know, cash going out the door. They're not actually making the profit they want to and take them into like a high performance industry leading property business. And that, that's what we do now. That's what we specialize in, in actually doing. And, and that's what I think is interesting because, um, you know, we deal with, with, with a number of landlords and, and a number of problems, you know, you know, as, I, as, as I've seen from the other side, it's like anything can go wrong in a property, right? Anything can go wrong, right? It's like, it's, it's yeah, the number of things we do with, with the uh, anti-viable now, but also about mold and damp proofing and everything else, the amount of things we do, you know, anything can go wrong in the property. And it's, it's, it's also like everywhere from asbestos to God knows what. I mean, you know, and people buying something off an auction they haven't seen, I've just had a really interesting, a podcast episode as well about how to scale um and i think that i think that if you're like so so if you're like in the beginning of it what are you talking to people who's got four five properties six properties what's the sort of scale of it well so i normally i kind of normally help people that have got uh yeah quite significant portfolios so i, I think the reality is you you everybody needs needs advice and guidance but you have to be in the right place to hear it when you start speaking to people, you know, like, like me, when I, when I was started out as an entrepreneur, I wanted to be biggest, I wanted to make millions, I was going to grow, 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 you know, and, and over time, like your three years of doing it, you're tired, 
you realize that this isn't really working out how you expected it to do. That's when and everything's a mess. You don't know how much you're spending. You don't know how much money you're making. You're stressed. You're overwhelmed. Like the business stops being fun. That's when you need somebody to say, right, well, you've got the sales, but let's make sure we let's put controls in place to build you a healthy business that's going to provide for you now. So although you can work with those people, they're not normally not ready to hear it, and they need to get the revenue first, then they start to focus on, focus on profit. Mm-hmm. I guess my typical clients tend to be people that own similar agencies to mine. They've got you know anywhere from 50 to up like two, 300 um, units units on their books or investors that have scaled quite a, a large-scale portfolio. Those are the kind of people I tend to work with. So they've got the revenue. Now, they, now we need to make the profit. And normally... Once again, like every year, their focus is right. How do I make more profit in this business? The, the, the first go-to answer for most entrepreneurs is, I'll just grow. I'll grow by 20%. I'll double in size. And growth is exhausting. It's very, it's very hard. It's very tiring. Nine times out of ten, you know, a, a fi- like I do a finance review with them, and I can already, I can see how we can double their profit, and they can stay the same size. Yeah. And this is where like the magic happens. And when you start to get entrepreneurs thinking like this, like, how, how can I, how can I be? the smallest possible company but have the highest possible margins like that is that is the code to crack it's not how do i be the biggest it's how do i be the smallest possible with the highest possible margins and that's what i help people achieve eat like a mouse and trap like an elephant right (laughs) that's that's exactly it so i think this is a a a really good small business um philosophy and i I was like i said i said you're you're in in a very interesting space here because i think that it's, it's, I always, very often when I speak to people in properties, like it's accidental, right? It's not meant to be, it's meant to be a sideline. It's meant to be passive. Then it's accidental. Then suddenly it becomes the, the business that they're in and suddenly it becomes the only business they're in. And suddenly it becomes overwhelming because the number of things that can go wrong and management and, and everything else. Yeah. Um, so I think you're in a very interesting space because you're in that phase of past the owning a couple of properties into building a portfolio, then suddenly this is a full-time business and you start having employees on board. And then we know what happens when you have employees on board, things start moving at a different pace. Yeah. So it's a very interesting place you're in there. Um, but it's, a, it's like a mindset shift as well. Like the, um, so, so I imagine that there's good, like, so the people I work with wouldn't dream of doing, you know, it's, it's so a mindset shift. The people I work with wouldn't ever dream of, uh, I don't know, not paying for maintenance. So they, they would always say, the people I work with would go, you know, I'm I'm not going to go, like somebody calls up, they need something sorted, they need a light bulb sorting. They'd they, they, they get something right. They'd use a company like yours, they'd bring up their own contractor and they, they'd value their time. So they'd just get that, get that, get that sorted. Um, and that is the mindset shift. Like the, the, the lower level landlords, you know, they're still running around like maniacs. They don't really value their time yet. They need to build the revenue, and once they build the revenue, they can start really valuing it, see how it's all going to work. Mm-hmm. And then the mindset shift is how do you, yeah, how do you increase your hourly rate, like minimal time in the business, maximum reward, and that's what we work on. That's what we work on doing. We had the discussion um, yesterday um, uh, on, on another podcast. It was about like one of the one of the big things we do is end of tenancy, pre move or post move in, and it's like sometimes that's a two hundred pound job, um, you know. But as I said doing it right means that the, the first of all the flat will rent out faster and you can maybe do 50 pounds more a, a month but they don't see that as the oh it's the 200 pounds and they'll go and scrub themselves the clients go in there and then suddenly they have five viewings instead of just one because it's that yeah, kind of, it's always just a false economy like we we, we do yeah we, we do like i don't know 20 to 30 uh move outs a month mm. 
we just can't. And, and like, it's not like we, we're like, all right, we've got 30 now. We can't, we can't do it ourselves. You know, we, we get people like yourselves to do it. We, it's not like we had that mentality and, and like, you know, now we've got 30, we've got to get somebody else. That's always been the mentality. Like even when we had one or two, I was never going around doing any of that. Like I, I wouldn't go anywhere near it. It's like, that's, that's low value work. That's something that we pay other people to do. Because so I'd be focusing on growing the business, generating more profits, starting a maintenance company, uh, you know, and all the other different elements that, that, that kind of bring more revenue through the front door. Building a brand, you know, building relations with our customers. There's so many important things. So valuing, like, that, that's, that is like a total step change when you start to see, like, it, you don't bring people in out of necessity because you can't afford the time to do it. You bring people out of necessity because your your time is is just is so much more valuable than the time you would be spending doing it's all about valuing things. yourself i guess right yeah it's about valuing yourself in this and then i was like so so how would they how would they get started like because i i know a lot of landlords right now with you know xyz the interest rate might change this might change you know that's going on should i start a cleaning company trying to make profit on that and we, we also know that we had a lot of landlords who started the cleaning companies that oh we'll use you and then they started the cleaning company they came back and then said like uh, valuing the time and saying, well, okay, maybe it's a little bit more expensive per job, but then I don't have the overhead of doing it because that needs someone on the back of it. Um, so that kind of frame. So how would, how would generally, how would you start with it? Would you go in and do an analysis? Would you take it to the process? Well, so if somebody approached me and said, Josh, yeah, I want to get my business from, yeah, yeah I, I want to generate more, more, more profit in this business. Like, how do we do it? Let's say I call Joshua the profit doctor here. <laughs> the profit doctor, yeah, the profit coach. So yeah, so the, so we have a, a five step process primarily. Um, uh, we call it, we basically call it five profit problems that you need to solve. So there's five problems you need to solve. The first is clarity. So we need to have like b before we start anything, we need to know what your numbers actually are at the moment, not on some spreadsheet that you've you, you've drawn up or some you know some some calculations you've done. We need a cloud-based accounting system and a finance team. So that's where we always start, like absolute clarity on your numbers. This is inexpensive. Like the, the, the companies we use and, 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 and our back office team, you pay on an hourly rate. And for somebody who's got five or six properties, you're probably looking at about £100 a month. It's inexpensive. And then we look at like the actual business model within that. So we then go, right, what's your actual business model look like? Where do you want to get to? It's not arbitrary. Your profit figure is basically your salary figure. So what do you want that to be? And, and we work it all back. So that's profit problem number one. The second is then consolidation. Uh, and that's where we look at the actual, the structure of the business. And normally nine times out of 10, property investors and owners, they understand that they, they need systems. They understand they should try and organize things better. So they've normally got like five logins to, one login to Trello, one login to Basecamp, one login to Asana. They've downloaded three different inventory apps and tried to use, and they end up using none of them. So the first, like the next step is like choosing our four, our, 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 um, four systems. So we've got four systems that we use: the brain, the toolbox, the integrator, and the controller. We get those in place, so we, we clean it all up. Once you've got an organised business and consolidation phase, we then go through the capacity phase. We actually bring people in to run that business for you. So build, bring in your team. Once again, people worry about this. Oh no, it's expensive. I can't afford to. You know, we're talking about uh, like low on the lowest lower end, and. Um, virtual assistants that cost you two pounds to three pounds an hour so it's, it's so affordable and then we did look at the uh control phase which is then right we've got all this in place most entrepreneurs get all this in place they get excited they've got more free time and they just go and go on the next big opportunity they don't put the control phases in 
the control phase is all about how you actually manage all of this business with a really like like uh, high value, low time commitment. How do you manage all this very, very effectively while you can step on and do other things? And then the fifth phase, which is where most entrepreneurs spend their lives, they don't do all the rest very well, is capitalize. So we've got all this in place. Then what are we going to do to drive pure profit into the business? And like, this is where we focus on doubling our early rate. So if our, if our profit currently is a thousand pounds a month and we're going to be spending uh, 10 hours a month, sorry, a hundred hours a month managing that, our hourly rate is 10 pounds. So we would then look to double that to 20 pounds. So we look for opportunities which are going to double our hourly rate. Um, and yeah, that's what we do. That's our five step process. So uh, clarity, consolidation, uh, capacity, control, and capitalization. That's where we operate. No, it sounds, I mean, when, when you say this fast, Joshua, with this passion, it sounds like, it sounds like it's, it's, really, it's really simple, but I don't think it is. I mean, and I think, I think because you've got XYZ going on in that property, you've got XYZ going on there, you know, the cleaner didn't turn up, whatever it is that's going on, or the, the, the tenant didn't pass the CRP check or whatever it is you're doing on the, on the reference check and so forth, you know, all of those things. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I, we know enough uh, about, about these things. So it sounds very simple when you say it like that, but I guess... It is really helpful to have that coach and to go through that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You need like it, all of it. Like actually, within property, none of it's overly complicated. Um, it's just there's just a lot to do. There's just a tremendous amount to do. You've, as you said, you've got anywhere from maintenance issues to auditing cleaners to uh, yeah, tenant family referencing to spare room advertising. Like you've got the whole whole of it to do. Okay. So the the mantra is do it once, do it right. So everything you should be doing as a landlord would be all around building, like as you said, like building assets. So building a training guide on how to dominate spare room, building a training guide on how to contact fantastic services when a, uh, when a maintenance issue comes in, building a um, policy on referencing. That's what you should be spending your time doing is building these assets and then you should be distributing them through your systems to your teams. And that, that is like that's how it all works, and it, it works very effectively. It's not not straightforward and easily, but it's uh, there's some sort of mantras and some ways of doing it to, to absolutely nail it. Yeah, no, but I, it sounds to me like there's a whole property ecosystem that I, I didn't know about. You know, like there's there's a lot here I'm learning, so it's really interesting, Joshua. Joshua, um, in in the spirit of the property heroes, we always talk about uh, the good, and the bad, right? So, can you tell me of something that uh, a mistake you made that you you, you, you learn the most from probably. Mistake I made that I learned the most from. Yes, I can. So one of the biggest mistakes I made, um, and this does come back to what I do now, I would say would be around um, thinking that if I grew, I was going to have a more successful, profitable business. And around 2017, uh, we, we luckily got the opportunity to actually double in size. So basically, in 2017, I think it was June 2017, we were given the opportunity to essentially double in size in one month. So I think we were on about 70 units at the time. We were going to go up to 150. So it's massive growth. Like You're in the top 2% of UK companies for growth if you're doubling in size each year. That's very fast. So that was an amazing opportunity. You know, we were working hard. We took on... And we were like, well, we should do this because we thought it was going to solve all of our financial worries. We thought when we got out the other side, we have this, this Dublin size portfolio and, and we were going to be like raking it in, absolutely creaming it in. We thought this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And I remember we did it. We spent three months doing it. We spent three months getting the properties filled up, getting everything onboarded, recruiting the team around it. It was, it was absolute chaos, like overwhelming and chaotic. And I remember, uh, 
sitting in the car, we actually booked a away day or away weekend to celebrate with some of the team. I remember sitting in the car and I actually got an email through from um, our bookkeeper at the time and they sent through our PL report and we'd actually made we were actually making a loss. So we actually doubled the size of the business. We we're actually making a loss. And for the next three to six months we had to put money into the business. So that was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. It's like thinking that more revenue was gonna just bring out more profit, thinking that if we doubled in size, there was just gonna be this it was a silver bullet. And it was like it just it was it was naivety, it was entrepreneurial optimism and, and we were totally focusing on the wrong things. Like overall it was good that we did it, but it was just a huge mistake and a huge learning on my part. Yeah. Well, I, I always find that it's like sometimes in, in those mistakes, I mean, you know, they, they always say like to be an entrepreneur, you have to be slightly crazy because you have to do those things and then you have to be able to recover from it, right? Because that's yeah. what actually makes you grow. Because if you hadn't pushed that, you know, now I, I always think it comes back to the, defining what you want out of your business from the beginning. Yeah. Right. Like what is the result you want? I mean, you know, and then there's a, there's a coach I listen to a lot. So like, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to grow big or do you want to grow rich? Right. What I what I like is the mix of the organization, then taking it like great by choice is is choosing the the growth stuff here, Josh. So it's I, I I love hearing that from you, and and the same. I remember those years, you know, like oh let's just grow like crazy and and chaos everywhere, and then we, we learn how to build systems, how to get the software right, how to make sure the operations were running smoothly, how to make sure that every single thing had a rule and everything is yeah. on training, you know, fantastic services, and and this is one of the things that I like about the franchises because you get to replicate that. Yeah, I think I think you're actually spot on. It's like it comes back to what we said before. It's, it's how how small can you be with the biggest margins, and that'd be that'd be the biggest learning from that. Like, because yeah, it's not fun having a big business that doesn't make any money. That's that's really not very fun. It's much more enjoyable to have a small business. Get your ego out of it. Take your ego out of it. Have a small business that makes a lot of money, and it's quite you got lots of free time. Like, that's definitely the place to be. What do you think makes us make those mistakes? I mean, you know, what do you think makes us, makes us make those mistakes? I mean, do you think it's, it's Pressure, peer pressure, is it? Well, I, I think I think there's two things. I think because um, I see it, I see it still. Like in a lot of my clients, we're still having these conversations where a lot of my clients come to me. They've grown like a really successful agency. They've grown in terms of the rooms and visibly on social media. It looks great. You know, they're smashing it. You know, they've got more and more, and they're just sitting here going, "But this is actually not. It, it's it's sucking the life out of us in terms of time, and it's and really we're making." Like a minimal, or probably less than minimum wage doing it, and all the risks associated with it. So I see people doing it all the time. Like what, what, what makes that happen? I think would be, I think it's three things. I think one would be uh, the highlight reel, the Facebook highlight reel, and and people perceiving, oh wow, look look what they've done. You see all these entrepreneurs on Facebook and all that, just talking on stage about what they've achieved. And if you notice, they they only ever say, oh, this is a multi-million pound company. So that's revenue. That's revenue. What does profit look like? And and with the people don't really talk about profit. Um, I think one element is like, you know, I, I could have told you at my agency at the time that it, that it got to X amount of revenue. It would have sounded great, but I wouldn't have mentioned the fact that we were actually making a loss and having to put money into the business. So I think the highlight reel is, is one thing. I think the second thing I'd say is, is just entrepreneurial optimism. Um, and that, that comes down to ego a little bit as well. So it's like, as entrepreneurs, we all have an ego. We all want to. We, we all want to achieve big things, and we like to chase the the big money. And that we want to tell our friends and tell everybody about the big money that we've achieved. We want to get that that turnover figure. So we say like, this is this is it. This is what we've achieved. So I think ego really pushes us there, and I think ego can can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. It can it can um, can get us places, but it can 
it can get us in a very unconsidered way. It's not it, it's not an intelligent way. It's just like an egotistical way. I think the third is around um, actually having financial clarity. Like if if I had what I have now, which is a, a finance manager, that I could have just said, look, we're planning on doubling. What's this going to look like? He would have been able to tell me that it, it, we were going to make a loss. And I've I've gone right. Well, that's not really what we're set out to do. So we may have still done it. But we would have done it and known what the answer was going to be, or tweaked the way we were going to do it, so that we 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 actually achieved the profit. And I think those three those three factors pushed me to do it. Um, but I do think at the same time, every entrepreneur needs to get out of their system. Everybody needs to do it, and, and you you just got to get out of your system and do it. And and then you learn from it on the other side, as you said. Like I think one of the benefits of being entrepreneurial is that you don't think too much about what the result's going to be. You just optimistically think it's going to be great. And that, that gets you, that gets you like 50% of the way. Once you've got to that point, the next 50% is like, right, how do we actually make this work now? Because it's not. No, it's so, it's so, so refreshing to hear it, Josh, because you're very honest and open about this stuff because it is like, and we all go through that as founders, as, as entrepreneurs, as and this stuff, we all go through that because there's years where you're just not making money. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah you're working absolutely to the to, to, to the max you know 20 hour days you know everything is, is is chaos and so forth and then you get the clarity and it's one of the reasons also why so many businesses fail i guess because at one stage you, you just have to push through things that others haven't you know yeah. that's times when you go like oh how do i put money back into it you know like should i write a second mortgage you know how how leveraged am i should i you know plow my credit cards into the business again to, to do the stuff here i mean you know, fantastic stories were not my first one, so um, I, I've I've learned it the same way. Uh, it's 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 the fifth or sixth um, one, so it was a different story this time because we've had the egos, we've had all these things, and and, and, and said, okay, well, we're growing three hundred percent, that's great, you know, but if we do that next year, we're gonna die, you know. Yeah. So so having the decision on that, but a good saying that I said, like, uh, you know, um, you know, turnover is, um, is 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 vanity, profit is sanity, right? Because yeah. It really is this stuff. What you eat matters more than what your turnover is. And then we saw, okay, well, the, the, the turnover didn't grow that much, but the EBITDA actually improved. But also, we had a more pleasurable business. So it's like, do you want to grow big in the revenue terms or do you want to grow, grow profit? No, that, that's another really good point is what you said. You, you had a pleasurable business. Like, you, you, the most pleasurable businesses are, as we said, as small as they can possibly be with the highest possible margin. With, and, and that, the smaller it is in terms of like a, a unit basis like so investors for example if you could have you know five uh high cash flow and hmo properties six bedrooms all all, all producing one to two thousand pounds a month of profit that'd be a much better place than to 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 grow to 100 you know rent to rent rooms with 150 pound per per room like one of them is incredibly noisy one of them is very small and very manageable and you and you'll get much more pleasure out of the smaller one yeah well and, and how do you how do you how do you get into it like let's let's take the let's take a take the step back and said so like because you know i i will tell you a little bit of my my property story was that you know i didn't ever believe that um a two-bedroom flat in um sc1 in Bermondsey would go over two hundred fifty thousand because that was like the the, the limit right now i know what it's worth and i know you know this kind of stuff so yeah that's a, a big one so yes. I never thought that it would go with that, you know, and I said like, well, okay, I made a hundred thousand on it. Wow, that's enormous growth, you know, or, or I think over three years, it was enormous. It was, there's times when it got fast. Um, how do you, how do you get into it? 
Like, how do you, how do you start out? What, what, what would be your, if you went back in time and said to yourself, like, like, like what would, what would be your first steps? First, first step is always, always around strategy from my perspective. So it's all, all around because, because it, like when you say you're going to get into property, there's like, there's, there's hundreds of ways you can actually get into property, ways, ways you can do with property. Um, and it's, it really depends on what you're actually trying to achieve. Like you said, Rune, if you want to, you know, it's what's the output, like what I'm actually trying to achieve. And it's the same as a business. Like what am I trying to achieve in the business? Okay, well, this is how, this is how I'm going to get there. So what do you want to achieve? Like there's, there's kind of three different plays you can, plays you can make. And one of them is like, do you want like a high cash flow strategy? Do you want, uh, you know, do you want to replace your monthly income? Uh, in which case you want to be doing things like service accommodation, uh, HMOs, you know, rent to rent, uh, you know, multi-unit properties. Second is you want like chunks of profit. Do you want, do you want uh, like bonus money? So you've got a nice cash flow income mm. and, and you want like a, a bonus money, which would be 10 grand, a, a sourcing fee. So you source on a deal, you do a development and make 20 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand. But, you know, it's not, it's not regular. It's like it's chunks of profit every three months, six months a year. Or third, do you want something for your pension? Do you want like a long-term pension play? So, you know, then you'd go and buy your, your flat in London that you're going to buy and hold and then sell it when you're uh, in, in 50 years' time because you know it's going to tri double, triple in value. So the first is like, what do you actually, what do you actually want to achieve? Because if you, want, uh, if you want a pension asset and you go and do yourself like what I do, which is, which is high-end professional house shares, which earn like good profit, but it's not a pension asset because it's noisy income, you know, it needs to be managed. It's not passive income, it's managed income. You don't want to do that. And, and, and there's quite a lot of notional equity in it. So although it may go up in value, you're going to be managing it for a long time and, and you have to shift in market. If things are going to change. You can't, you can't rely on it. Like it's, it's more of an active strategy as opposed to a, a passive strategy. So you need to consider that. So the first place starts to go, what do I actually want to, to do here? Like what do I want it? What, 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 what do I want to achieve? Cool. So I want cash flow. Great. What are the strategies that can provide me with cash flow? HMOs, rent to rent, service accommodation, you know, what, 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 what are those things? Then you look at, right, well, based on that, what would my area work as? Like I live in, I live in Brighton. What's going to work around Brighton? Well, SA can work really well. So service apartments can work really well. So plenty of holiday people, well, there were plenty of holiday people going to Brighton. So I'm going to go for that. Fantastic. I mean, just choose a strategy and just go for it. Like that, that's like, in, and honestly, like just go out, find the deals and, and just get started. Yeah. That's a little different when you, when, when you first came to, when I first came to the country and, and so forth, you know, with no credit history, um, those things were a little bit harder, but it's, it's still there. So, you know, but it's really, really nice to hear you break it down like that, Josh. I mean, I think, I think both for experienced guys and for, for beginners, I think it's, it's, it's a very good way of understanding the breakdown. Uh, how would they now? Now, before we go into how they would, they would contact you and, and and where they find you, um, you know, and this is a, this is a, kind of a tricky sort of um, question in this because it's like we can't give financial advice, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody has a, a crystal ball to going on what's in the future. Uh, for the listeners who might listen later, we're right smack in the middle of a lockdown from COVID, second lockdown in London. You know, if you're listening to this, um, this is 2020. Um, you know, we're right smack down in the middle of a lockdown. We are seeing property prices going up. We're seeing the stock markets outperforming uh, the prices ever have. The Dow is up higher than it ever has. 
um, the interests are at, at a low that we haven't seen for for this. Um, let's talk about interest, negative interest rates, and you know, God knows what's going on, right? The whole world is at flux, and um, and one of the things I asked is like, because this is a thing with property is like, you know, the fear of oh, there's going to be a massive bust, and because I, I've seen people, you know, we started in the past recession, we did we did the ups and downs, we understand this stuff, we understand the reinvention of a new re recession, we understand that change is happening, right? It's not a recession, it's reinvention. So we understand that. So the 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 sort of thing like without the crystal ball, what, what what's happening right now, Joshua? I mean what's uh... it's good. I mean it's quite it's a good question, quite a holistic answer. Um In terms of what's happening, uh, there's been a bit, bit of a boom in the market from this year for prices actually going up because I think people are seeing there's opportunities, more people want to move out of their flats in London into the countryside given what everything's going on. We're seeing from like a, an actual lettings market perspective, we're seeing like it's, it's right now it's quiet, but it's been quite a busy year. Uh, it's quiet now because we're in lockdown, but it's been quite a busy year. Um, Regardless, you've got more people losing their jobs, more people have gone on to DSS and you know benefits tenants. So that's potentially a market to explore. I think there's no there's no answer here, but I think the key sentiment would just be it's just a shift. There's always demand for housing. Uh, so so from a from a from a purchasing perspective, there's always the the market will always go up long term. So if you if your strategy is to if it's a long term strategy and you're having to you're planning on buying a house in the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, fifty years till you die, then this is a good time to buy. Like there's no issue with buying because the market it's like the stock market. It, it may it may uh, jump up and down, but it'll always be slowly and steadily up over the long the long term. So from a buying perspective, you know, that's that will work. Uh, from a and there's some great opportunities as well. From a um, like lettings perspective, I think as always with the lettings market, it is a market and it's all around. It does shift, it does adapt, it does mature. So you just need to look at where is that, where is where is there going to be demand like now and long term. So more and more people are losing their jobs. So if you can cater for DSS tenants, you're probably going to have like you probably be, be in a good place. Mm. There's going to be students um, moving out of central London. I mean, you know, um, you know, um, the, the the universities don't have the foreign nationals who comes in now. Right now, you know, it's completely shut. Yeah. You know, whether that's going to go on for one year, four years, or, or longer, who knows? Um, who knows? But that's the thing. Like, it's just looking at all the different trends. Service accommodation at the moment. Um, you could argue that okay, it's more challenging because there's less people going away for weekends. When we get past lockdown, there's probably going to be more people going away for weekends than there ever were before because people aren't going to want to go abroad because of all the like turmoil and all the challenges. So we're in a bit of a dip at the moment with lockdown and uncertainty. But I don't I actually think that we're in four to six months time. We'll be sitting here. I think there will be a bit of a crash in terms of prices, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy. Like just, just buy, get good deals, and hold on to them for long term. I think four to six months we'll be sitting here, and I think the market would have pretty much, from a lending perspective, sorted sorted itself out. The only thing I wouldn't do at the moment is take a punt on, uh, be too heavily reliant on exit values. So if, you're, if your strategy is trading, if you're going to buy something to develop and then flip right. on, yeah, right. right now I would suggest that's, that's, that's a risky game to play and, I, and I, I'd leave that back to the, to the professionals and people that really know what they're doing because the, the, the seller's market, I'd say, is uncertain. I, I would be a bit more dubious about that. That's the only part of it I wouldn't be 
looking into. But if you're going to buy and hold, then I think you're fine. You're all good to go. No, I, I think I think there's there's the years when it goes up. It's a bit like I think I think you know if you compare it to day trading or to to investing, you know, are you investing in index stocks? Are you investing in in trackers? Yeah. Day trading, you know, what's going up and down? I mean, you know, it's like lots of fluctuations. I think the idea of having a, a, a relatively good portfolio of different things, but also understanding, you know, a couple of things. I had a I had a really interesting question for you because. Um, you said something about a maintenance company, Joshua, and it's like it's like you know now you know obviously fantastic services and the size of us and, and the number of maintenance jobs we do and the services we do. Um, you know, how big do you have to be as a property developer before that's worthwhile, or is it actually worthwhile? I mean, so we we do have our own maintenance company, but only because we have three hundred seventy-five rooms. So if you imagine, um, and we're established enough to do it, like so, is is not. It's not a. Uh, it's not something I suggest you do at all, really, until you get to a point where you really, you've got an established portfolio of rooms. So, so the only reason why we do it that way, and we still do use external contractors as well. What we have maintenance company for is more like the general handyman uh, style roles. But we still use we still use external companies for cleaning. We still use external companies for gas and boilers, and, you know, all anything specialist. We have a maintenance company, but it, but it just does our in in house portfolio. So we don't do anything for anyone external. For our for our own portfolio, our managed managed properties, we we basically we have that company which we started about three two two and a half three years ago, and that that we basically pay a day rate to our our team, and then we recharge that out to our landlords. So it's a nice little it's a good little learner, but it also adds to the service because we can offer better service through controlling it ourselves. Yeah, no, that's 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 what I'm always saying. I mean, like. Like one of the things um, that 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 I firmly believe in is this thing about adding value to whatever you do. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's the the rental, whether even if it's if it's 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 MTOs or MTs, as you said, then even if it's that, you've got to add a value to it. Also, you've got to keep the renters. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that that people very often, you know, if if you're new in this stuff, you but the property market. I mean, you know, I'm from Scandinavia where the property market is not like this. It's, there's very very few multi-unit landlords because there's a regulated flat cap on how much you're supposed to do. Um, you know, so that's how much it is per square meter, and that's it. You know, this yeah. flat cap and and this stuff here. I mean, it's not in the UK, which is why prices are going the way they're going. Um, but you know that a lot of people said like, oh, but it can't go much higher. I mean, you know, it's like we're we're at the peak of this stuff here, and then oh, there's going to be a second boom. There's going to be a second bust. I remember the predictions about the previous bust, and you know, the percentage wasn't more than twenty. And if you held on, you know, it recovered faster than you, know, you could blink your eyes. It was just a matter of if you were squeezed to that point. And that I think comes down to what you said about clarity, knowing where you are, knowing where your financials are. I just always said like, if you can't measure it, you know. You can't manage it, you know. If you're not, if you don't know whether you're too leveraged, um, it's one of the big things we were talking about uh, as well. Was was about leverage, you know? Like, what's you know? There's a couple of golden rules for it, but it's a personal choice as well. How, how leveraged you want to be on your property, right? Yeah, it certainly is. But if everyone wants to get it, it just comes down to clarity. And when when you have uh, like everything set up, so you can actually see how much interest you're paying month every month on debt. What your what your debt you know, your uh, Loan to value is what your uh, your gearing is across your company. You can then start to make some really good decisions, but also the right decisions. I mean, there's like that is in the like. I think the third, the earlier you are in your property career, I think the more debt you tend to have. So 
in the early days, it's all about, you know, it's aggressive, it's growth, it's debt, 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 like grow, grow, grow. As you start to mature as an investor, I, I believe anyway, and I certainly start to do this, I'm, I'm, I'm much more, I'm less bothered about getting all the money out and I'm happy to leave money in because I, overall I'm trying to bring my gearing down because this is like a long-term thing for me now. It's not just, I, I'm not just grow, grow, grow. It's like now, right, less it could be real wealth that's in this portfolio. But that's a shift, and I think you only get that shift once you once your cash flow is taken care of and your lifestyle taken care of. Then you start to really focus on the balance sheet and look at right. Well, how do we start to play the play the longer term game? Hmm. No, it's it's really interesting to hear, Joshua, and it's so refreshing. I mean, you know, as 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 um, as we as we're doing these property shows and we're interviewing more and more, you know, I'm learning something about property. Um, I'm really <clears throat> learning a lot, and I hope our listeners are learning too. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Joshua. And, and finally, I mean, you know, the way I always ask is like, how do people get in touch with you? Yes, you'll have a profile on the Fantastic Services podcast here as well. But how do people get in touch with you? Should they? The best way to do it is connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Josh Keegan, or find me on Facebook, Josh Keegan. That's the best way to contact me. I've also got a, 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 a group called The Profit Process. So if you want to search that and request to join, you'd be more than welcome to. And yeah, it'd be an absolute pleasure to reach out and connect with all of you yeah, on social media. No, exactly. I think I think I think it's worthwhile. I mean, what Joshua talks about in 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 a nutshell was was the nice simplified way of understanding um, the five steps in order to understand your business so you know where you are. Um, it's something that I always advocate. Um, it's something that I'm super interested in because if you don't know where you are, then you don't know where you can go, uh, and you don't know what you can achieve, and you also don't know what's next, um, which is like a way of being prepared. So I think, you know, it's, it's worthwhile and, and it's been a real pleasure, Joshua. Um, and I'm so happy you uh, had time to, to join us with all your property yeah, portfolio and uh, well done. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an incredible business you've done and I really like that you're giving back to this and helping other property um, developers and not, it's, it's a bit like in the franchising industry where we don't see competition as anything but a, a, a community where we can learn from each other. You know, because yes, you're competitive with these, but it's also the process of learning. So it's really refreshing to see Joshua. Um, and thank you very much for it. Thank you very much, Rune.